2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Time to officially enter the twists and turns section of the title race. Arsenal back on top after a very profitable injury time at Villa Park. Emi Martinez with possibly his most important work for the Gunners, scoring one and going a wall for another. Meanwhile, just when you thought the Man City machine was clicking into gear, Chris Woods steals two points away from them after Pep's men are wasteful at the city ground. Even Lord Panic might have hit the target with that Haaland chance. A disastrous few seconds for Nick Pope means he's out of the Carabao Cup final. Enter Loris Karius. Could Liverpool win and St. is prompt to dash for the top four. Graham Potter's having a bad time. Marcus Rashford's having a good time. And Seamus Coleman begins the new statistic of unexpected goals. Spurs are somehow fourth. Fulham somehow win at Brighton. And Barry's surefire tips of the weekend. Wolves and Brentford somehow don't come off. There's some big sports washing on the horizon to worry about. A petition for Clay Davis to be at Bolton Stadium renaming. Nathan Jones gets his boots back on. And we've got some banging drum and bass to look forward to. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. The panel today, Barry Glendenning. Welcome. Hello. Hello, John Bruin. Hello, Max. And really looking forward to Aston Villa 2, Arsenal 4. Jordan Jarrett Bryan, welcome.
0: Hi, mate. Before we get to the football, as a German base fan myself, I'm looking forward to that section of the pod. So, um, yeah, let's get to that ASAP, please.
2: Yeah, well, me, me, t- me too, as as I'm sure you know. I love the drums and I love the bass. For the tape, uh, it is worth pointing out that I'm in my garden. Apparently, producer Joel says, by part three, the wildlife gets quite loud. So if you hear a kookaburra in the background, that's where I am. Um, I will promise to do the pod from inside and not in my own bathroom my legs in the washing machine soon. Anyway, Jordan, how much did you enjoy that game did you enjoy it as a fan i would have found that incredibly stressful
0: oh no i loved it (laughs) absolutely loved it um best best day ever chelsea losing you know uh, Spurs hopefully at that point I thought might lose as well but they didn't the, the, the following day it was a great day no but
2: I mean the game itself like like, like you're sitting there going like it was stressful I imagine from an Arsenal fan perspective even if it ended well
0: no it, you're, you're right I'm lying if I said that at 2-2 I, I wasn't I wasn't slightly nervous about the match I think Arsenal were the better team overall despite getting a lucky winner um, a lot of Villa fans were crying into their tees saying oh it was unfair result no it wasn't the, be- the better team won the match Arsenal were better. And I can't it was a must-win for Arsenal, first of all, because you I think if Arsenal drop points there, I think City win their game. I think psychologically, I I think coming back the way they did I think had an impact on, on City's result a couple of hours later on. But the way Arsenal won this match, um, with the winner with Jorginho, for me, threefold was really significant. One, because of the way they won the match in the, in the 93rd minute. That was exciting as an Arsenal fan, of course. Second of all, because Jorginho, there was a lot of snobbery amongst parts of the Arsenal fan base about that signing. And I think that he's a brilliant player in the right system. And for him to get the goal, I thought was brilliant. And the third element was, it was awarded to Mart- Martinez, who I can't stand. I think after the World Cup, I think he his conduct was so classless. The way that he left Arsenal, I thought was very classless. So for him to be the person that got the goal, or, you know, it's integral in the last two goals, was absolutely hilarious. And I loved it. I mean, the header, first of all, was perfect. You see some ricochets going off keepers <laughs> sometimes, but he literally like, it was a perfect header into the goal. So... I I loved it. Um, but my, my my two takeaways from this game were Jorginho and conceding goals. Jorginho, first of all, Max. I, I think that. With Partey hopefully coming back in the next game, Jorginho, I would advocate a two-person pivot where you have Partey and Jorginho in front of the back four. I think Jacka looks shot. So I think he needs a bit of a rest. And I think he's got a role to play in the next few games for sure. But the concerning thing for me as an Arsenal fan who thinks we still can win the title is we're letting in too many goals. that We can see it this year against the likes of um, Brentford, Um, West Ham um, Everton two against United three against City two against uh, Villa now that's going to I think be the main reason Arsenal don't win this title if they can't keep clean sheets they're going to be in trouble but the game itself was exciting and and a must win I'm really glad that Arsenal saw saw it out the way they did as well I think that would give them confidence going into the next game against Leicester
2: And such fine margins, John. I mean, with both these games, with this game and the City game, you know, that passage of play, you know, Odegaard's miss and you think that's Arsenal done. Then Leon Bailey, that's such a brilliant save from Ramsdale. And obviously the ludicrousness of of
3: Martinez and Jorginho. I watched this game and thought, as Aston Villa went into the lead, I thought, welcome back Arsenal. The Arsenal we've known since, let's put it, 2005. Uh, That that ability to snatch pain and misery from, from potential glory. But then we saw what might be actually the new Arsenal, which is their ability to come back and they've their quality as an attacking force, um, and an element of self belief as well. Okay, actually, was there an element of fortune for Jorginho's goal? Goal in inverted commas, not really. It was a great shot. Uh, I know it's not a, it's not quite a Troy Townsend. It was off target, but it, you know it, it was a beautiful <laughs> shot. And you know sometimes you ride your luck, don't you? Uh, but I, I think. It had it all in terms of what we've seen Arsenal this season. Uh, what's got them to this position is being devil make-out attacking. They can be a bit leaky at the back. Uh, I agree with Jordan that perhaps that's what's going to cost them in the end. Uh, but you also had Mikel Arteta in full sarcasm mode, that bit where he imitated the referee. I mean, what my word. Um, I remember Wayne Rooney being sent off for sarcasm once. Uh, why not the same for Mikel Arteta? Yeah, but yeah, a Premier League classic, I'd say. Absolutely brilliant game, a great advert. And this is why Arsenal have been so great to watch this season because it provided a lot of that type of thing. And then, of course, we'll talk about it in a bit, obviously, but uh, City slipping up. Well, we've still got another chance for Arsenal to snatch uh, misery and pain from potential (laughs) glory. So, all good. We
2: really do. Eddie says, were you also disappointed Martinelli didn't get on all fours and head his goal over the line? Or at least do the Balotelli spinny backheel? Well, I I think he didn't quite execute the the celebration pre-goal well enough, Barry. Uh,
4: Well, I think he had a little panic, didn't he? When he he was going to celebrate and then he thought, oh, I really should put it away before I give it the full gun, as Big Ron used to say. Fabio Vieira was... He was celebrating long before the ball went in. He played this lovely weighted pass into the path of uh, Martinelli and was on his knees, arms in the air like Willem Dafoe after being riddled with bullets in platoon. And he's, the helicopter has taken off without him because uh, they think he's dead. Yeah, slightly happier circumstances for Fabio Vieira. <laughs> yeah, it was a... Tremendous game, um, for me, as a neutral, anyway. If I had been an Arsenal fan, I think that would have been all sorts of anguish.
0: Yeah, just a word on Villa as well, because as much as they they know how I feel about that club and if I wrote the script for this match, it wouldn't have gone any per- more perfect than it than it did. But I'd be excited if I was Villa for next season because I think they got they got the, the the makings of a good team there, and I really rate Unai Emre. It didn't go their way on this particular game, but I I think if they can give Unai Emre a couple of key signings in the summer, I think they they could do something next season. There's some good players at Aston Villa. They were the, they weren't the better team on this day, but I, I think Villa have got reason to be optimistic going into next season.
2: Mm, and I thought I thought that when dear dummy for Coutinho was. Glorious, and actually, Ollie Watkins took his goal like a sort of proper centre forward. You know, it's it's a half chance, isn't it? He really makes he really makes it for himself. And great to see Tom Hanks randomly celebrating that Ollie Watkins goal. Before we do, City, uh, Short says, will Lee Mason's departure draw a line under the VAR controversy? I mean, I doubt. I very much doubt it. But uh, the PGMOl has confirmed. Uh, that Lee Mason has left the organisation by mutual consent. Uh, he was a Premier League ref for 15 years, oversaw 287 top-flight matches. The PJMOL said during that time, with his last coming during the closing stage of the 21-22 season, uh, his full career in the professional games saw the 51-year-old officiating over 500 fixtures after he progressed to the Football League in 1998. Do you think, has he been bullied out of this, John? Or is this the right decision?
3: I mean, we we don't really know the full circumstances do it the, the pgmol were fairly opaque for the reasons behind this i mean he's 51 did he think that he would have a career in var you know it's like it almost like this was the career path you're, you're a referee till say you're 51 and until you well what's the retirement age these days i don't know 95 70, 75 95. Or whatever it is now yeah um <laughs> that you then get a nice comfy sharing of var room but it appears that uh, this is a even more testy environment, which which does concern me. I mean, one of my worries when VAR came in was that uh, certain managers would have VAR dossiers on who the, the bloke in the video room was. And uh, I think pinpointing one person for mistakes in which it is supposed to be collective effort, that does concern me a bit. But maybe Lee Mason just thought, I've had enough of this. Uh, and maybe has a haulage farm on, f- firm on the side and is going to do that instead. I don't know, but uh, it does fe- feel strange that someone walks away at well, what I know now, probably considered quite an early age.
4: <laughs> yeah, if if he has been let go because of that mistake and a couple of other high-profile mistakes he's made, I, I, I'm not sure it sets a great precedent because it it, it isn't going to iron out the VAR mistakes because we've had a couple more this weekend um not as high profile as last weekend, but they were mistakes nonetheless. In my opinion, it it's going to make fans who are already, you know, conspiracy theory weirdos, it's going to make them feel entitled to try and hound anyone who makes a mistake out of their job in terms of refereeing or VAR decisions and just, oh, if we kick off enough on Twitter or whatever, we they lose their job. And, uh, you know, again, there's, there's no magic pool of brilliant referees floating around that they can be re- these people can be replaced with.
2: I mean, presumably, Lee Mason, hopefully, instead of a haulage firm, just has a masonry firm. That would be much easier for him, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, let's go to the City ground. Um, uh, Forest 1, City 1. H- how, John, did City not win this game?
3: Well, uh, they didn't win it because they didn't put the ball in the net enough when they really... When they, I mean, it's sorry to be so glib, but that that's the simple answer, isn't it? Um, uh, they should have won. Uh, I think that Nottingham Forest can't believe they didn't win. Uh, and then um, the goal scored by Football Weekly legend Chris Wood uh, was actually rather easily scored, wasn't it? Uh, it, it was, you know, knife through butter type of thing, and Chris Wood's able to that stuff, uh, stub it in at the back post. And this is because this is this is the reason why I thought Arsenal had a chance until they completely arsenalled it against City in the week. Is that that City aren't Manchester City as we remember them? There's so many wobbles in them. I mean, you know, Bernardo Silva played at left back again, scored a great goal, but he's a bit dodgy in that position, and. It's a team with holes in. It's just whether anybody else has the wherewithal to catch up with them. Um, I do feel if Manchester City win the league this season, uh, they will regard it as the the lesser of their title uh, triumphs, in in the style of say, you know, a, a late period Ferguson team crawling over the line where no one else was any good. Uh, that that type of style. I, I don't think they've been great this season. Haaland was guilty of a couple of misses. There was that weird bit where Phil Foden thought, well, I should pass it to Haaland instead of scoring. Now, what does <laughs> yeah. that say? What does that yeah. say? I mean, like we could play amateur psychology, of course, but that was a strange moment. And there's Phil Foden, a player who is a little bit out of form, isn't he? Yeah, and hasn't actually
2: played that much, Foden. But you're right, he's sitting there going, I know I have to pass this to Haaland, but I really could score a goal. Okay, I'll pass it to Haaland. Oh. It's all, It's I failed on all counts.
3: Yeah, and he was laying flat on the floor, just like, oh no, this is why I'm not going to get in the team next week.
2: That possible penalty, or was it, I don't know if it was inside or outside the box actually, Joe Worrell on Haaland, Barry, seemed vaguely pivotal. Uh,
4: Well, Pep got very exercised about it. I thought at the time that Worrell hadn't fouled Haaland and then watched a couple of replays and still thought he hadn't fouled him. You seem to think he did. I'm I'm open to uh, persuasion. If Haaland did go down without being given a little tug or a little shove, that would be very weird. You'd think his natural instinct would be to score. I don't think there were many pivotal moments in this match. You know, Kaylor Navis saved brilliantly from that Laporte header from point-blank range. You know, the, the Haaland misses, the Foden miss. So they're all pivotal moments because... Manchester City needed to score more than one goal as it happened. And uh, I mean, at the risk of going full Ethan Pinnock here, that Forrest goal was brilliant, even though it was just a back post tapping. Like there's about 20 passes in the build up and no City player got a sniff of the ball. So hats off to Forrest for being able to score a goal like that against one of the, the best teams on the planet.
2: Yeah, Luke says, where do you think the best place is for Steve Cooper's statue in Nottingham? I mean, they're unbeaten in eight at home, and a lot of said about teams at the bottom. John is, you know, make your make your home ground a fortress. Obviously, I mean, still fortress. fortresses are probably a bit passe now, aren't they? Given like drones, etc. Probably, it's probably quite hard. Like, it's not gonna be that useful? to have a moat, is it? But anyway, building, you know, got to make it a fortress. And Steve Cooper has done that. They're so different at home, and actually, that the atmosphere at the city ground is pretty extraordinary as well.
3: Is it, more force, is it more like Firewall or something like that? Yeah, Defending yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> off cyber attacks from from the... Yeah, um, I think we come back to it again. Uh, Steve Cooper is an excellent manager that we've known since his triumphs with the England um, representative teams. Uh, and um, I just cast my mind back to this idea early on in the season that Steve Cooper would lose his job. I just wonder where Notting Forest would be without him. Um, you would suggest, if we're into the awards season, and it appears we are, then you know, Steve Cooper's got to be well up there for doing a job most have thought impossible. Um, and um, I'm sure we're going to get onto this other chap. Graham Potter can't seem to sort out a, team, a squad of 35 players, but Steve Cooper can. So, what does that say? Put, let's put an idea in Todd Bowley's head there, shall we? Oh
2: God, they could do a swap, couldn't they? All right, well, let's end part one and let's start part two with Chelsea then in just a second.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last plus every single burrow order ships free right to your door right now get 15% off your first order at burrow.com/acast that's 15% off at burrow.com/acast
2: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, We're recording a special on disability in football next week. We've had loads of people get in touch about all sorts of things, good initiatives clubs are doing, um, struggles that you've had personally, working in uh, the game um, and what more needs to be done. But we'll still take more. Your emails, footballweekly at theguardian.com. Thank you for getting in touch, uh, all of you who have done already. Uh, let's go to Stamford Bridge. Then Chelsea nil, Southampton 1. Alex says, who will Todd Bowley spend the parachute payments on next season? Dwight Gale or Neymar? Uh, Henry says, just how, just how angry should Potter get before he can start getting results? Waiting in a post office queue angry? Loud people chewing angry? Uh, this feels, Barry, like a disastrous result for him.
4: Oh, of course it is. Uh, to lose 1-0 at home to the worst team in the division is... Awful, and I don't think anyone saw this coming, even though Chelsea haven't been playing particularly well recently. They've won one in their last 10 games, and in those 10 games, they've scored four goals. And considering the calibre of players they have in their squad and the amount of money they've spent uh, in the past, well, a couple of windows, that's simply not good enough. And they look so ordinary um, during that. Like The first half was They were diabolically bad. couldn't create anything really of note. I thought Kalidu Koulibaly was perhaps a little lucky not to get sent off for a a stamp on Paul Unachu's tie. Uh, He had to block one off the line um, quite early in the game. Southampton were taking the game to them at at, uh, Stamford Bridge and was quite brave with Southampton. And then when Potter made the changes at halftime, Uh, He brought on Rahm Sterling. Things improved, but not markedly. And it was a very poor Chelsea performance. And I I think Southampton deserves to win.
2: Do you think he'll get the time, Jordan, that that Todd Bolly seems to think he's going to get? I, I always think managers deserve time. And I'd like him to. And I don't think it's an easy job with that many players. I don't even know what you do at training. How do you decide who should get in the team? You've got so many attackers. It's really difficult. But... You know, football is a ruthless industry.
0: I I did um, think he would get time um, uh, to to sort this out. I thought we'd get to a next season. I've talked up Potter quite a lot in terms of I think he could do a good job at Chelsea. But that was a bad result. You can't lose at home to the worst team in the league. And, you know, I saw um, your, your your mate Paul Merson sp- saying, you know, it's one thing if the if the Southampton keeper has a you of a match and saves like 17 shots um, and you're like, oh, it's not good, but fair enough. He didn't. He didn't have that match. I, I think the Champions League tie could ultimately decide whether they stick with him or not. I think if they go out to Dortmund and go out quite badly... I think I think he could be in trouble I don't think he'll make it to the end of the season regardless because I just don't see now how he turned that around but something I want a point I want to make about Potter as well is I often hear a lot of people talking about oh well look at look at Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, you know, look across London and they went for a bad period and he's turned it around. And I think to myself, well, yeah, that's true, but that shouldn't be the reason that that, that Todd Bowley doesn't fire Graham Potter. If he feels they've made an error, if he feels Potter's out of his depth, if he feels that he can't turn this around... He shouldn't be bound by this idea that he may turn it around given time because you, you, you just can't you can't work like that. It's working at Arsenal, but it, it might not be working at Chelsea. So I don't think he should be forced to stick him with him just because it's the, you know, the seemingly nice thing to do. And there's an example across London where it has worked. I I I do fear for Potter. My biggest concern for Chelsea, also as well, is I don't know what they're trying to do. When I watch Chelsea play, I, I can't work out what they're trying, how they're trying to play. At least with re- referencing my manager again, Arteta, it was bad at some points, but I could always see what he was trying to do. At thirty-three players, what do you, as you mentioned? How do you even do a training session with thirty-three players? I don't know how you even coach that. So I've got some sympathies. But you can't lose at home to Southampton at home. That that just can't happen.
2: You just go sixteen aside, and you know Mudrick, you put on the you put on the bib, and you're just the magic <laughs> player, and that's it. I mean, I think the interesting thing, John, isn't it, is that there've been so many Chelsea games where they have created, and and it has been where actually you know they're not far away, but this wasn't
3: that. No, it wasn't, and and the one one thing that Graham Potts got against him is that uh, I, I listened to the the radio broadcast of this and. Um, as uh you know John Southall whoever the, the BBC reporter was signing off uh you could hear people grabbing the mic uh, or leaning over into that press box at Chelsea you know which is very close to the fans and shouting like get him out of our club which you know <laughs> get and I mean listen I I've seen that done with uh, you know Arsene Wenger it didn't work but um in this case uh, the position appears precarious can we mention, actually, Southampton? Well, to say, Please do, yeah. Yeah, well done. Uh, a good result. Um, now, I, 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 the week before, I saw Southampton Wolves, which is obviously the final game for Nathan Jones. Uh, the winning goal, of course, was scored by James Ward-Prowse, uh, who I imagine will have, just like there is a Latissier suite, there'll be a Ward-Prowse suite at St Mary's one day.
2: Insulated with tin foil, the Latissier suite, isn't it?
3: Leticia, is here. <laughs> you can speak freely in there. Uh, but yeah, um, but in the but but Will Prowse, um, I think it's fair to say, is the best free kick taker in Europe. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the previous week, uh, uh, and I don't want to pick on Nathan Jones. It didn't. It did go badly, but they had a free kick in not a dissimilar position. And they decided to go for the Thomas Brolin, Valk course pass through the, you know, and Wolves read it, and a, a chance was passed up. Wolves go down the other end, score two goals. This time, Ward Prowse uh, is in that position, takes a free kick, scores, Southampton win. That's how easy sometimes football can be. Obviously, that's a fairly facile example, but I do think actually within that squad, there is some talent uh, with whoever the next manager is going to be to work with. Um, so credit to them that you know, they've, they've got points on the board and actually uh, they would have looked at Chelsea and thought we could get something out of this, uh, but perhaps not with um I'm not sorry to mention him again, Nathan Jones.
0: Sorry, P- producer, jo- producer Joel's going to kill me for doing this, but I just wanted to make a final point going back to Graham Potter. I'm fascinated by the media talk around how he's conducting himself and how, you know, he's not demonstrative enough and he's not, he's not looking like a Chelsea manager and he needs to be a bit more angry. He needs to be not so nice. And I just wonder as members of the media, what role do we think we're playing in the perception of him and how he should be. I'm really interested in this whole idea that because post-match he's saying things that we don't perceive to be the things that a top manager says, that should go against him, even if what he's saying is true. Um, I I, I find that quite interesting. I just wondered if you guys have any thoughts on... Uh,
3: yeah, sorry, Jordan. Yeah, I think uh, that... You know, I, I know quite a few people that report on Chelsea and um, Chelsea needs a, a rockstar manager. Thomas Tuchel was a quote machine. Jose Mourinho, obviously the ultimate quote machine, uh, and 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 he, the, the 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 reporters and uh, uh, around that club have become used to somebody. Graham Potter is someone that answers honestly. Though is it always honest when it's you know, When the the answer is Graham, you've lost to the bottom. Uh, how do you see? Well, we need to improve. It's not enough, really. He, they need to see some element of firebrand, if only to sell papers and get clicks, but also. Uh, uh, it's this big thing in the press, isn't it? What sort of message have you sent out to your players, that team, uh, the FA or whatever? Well, Graham Potter is sending out no sort of message other than just answering questions fairly glibly. Now, no one doubts his intelligence as a person, but clearly he's either a shy man or someone thinks he's possibly above that type of talk. Well, in the our league, it doesn't really work, does it? And
2: so, what you're saying, you've got to, you, so what you're saying, you've got to play the game, right? Because like, it's obviously completely ridiculous. It's it should have no impact on your players if you punch Jeff Shreve's in the face, or if you go completely wild at you know yeah,
3: absolutely, yeah, Patrick
2: Davidson, right? It's completely irrelevant. Like because what you do in the dressing room is different, but you're saying if you play the game, then you
3: sort of give people what they want and that would actually be intelligent? Yes, part of being paid, you know, three million a year or whatever Graham Posse receives is being that guy, being that front man. And in the Premier League, it's not like, um, you know, we had Antonio Conte, didn't we, saying that in other other leagues, someone else does the talking. A lot of the time, you'll have a club president and maybe in the NFL, it'd be a similar approach. But, as a Premier League manager, you have to be the front man. You have to go out there, you have to talk yourself through takeovers, political issues, all that type of thing, in the manner that we've seen you know, the, the greats who like Wenger do. And in Graham Potter isn't that guy. Graham Potter is a good coach, we know that. Uh, but unfortunately, his coaching performance aren't, isn't that good and his media performance aren't that good. And what does that add up to? A manager who's failing publicly. I don't take any pleasure in that, but that's that's the perception that we've got to gain from it. He'll be at Spurs next year.
2: <laughs> I guess he should have said he was the most aggressive man in Europe, and that uh, you know he 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 could have just settled down in Ostersunds and married a nice was that where he was Norwegian girl, you know <laughs> that's that's Swedish. Should have done Swedish, all Swedish, all the same. My all apologies. The same, aren't <laughs> uh, my, my apologies. Uh, John says has any interim manager ever dressed more like oh. <laughs> Want the permanent job than Ruben <laughs> Sellers? Uh, <laughs> and and it looked Barry like the players were really happy with him.
4: Yeah. And that's dangerous territory, isn't it? History has suggested that uh, caretaker managers who are popular with the players, if they're given the job full time, it can kind of go south very quickly when they start realising. Oh, actually, he's not our mate anymore. He's he's uh, he's the boss. He couldn't have got his job interview. Oh, he has made it clear he wants the job and he couldn't have got off to a better start, but. Whether or not giving it to him would be a good idea, I have no. I don't know. I I thought the the jacket was maybe a little bit too tight. The the sort of zip up,
3: zip up thing. He 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 probably when he watches it back, as I'm sure he did, thought maybe I should have gone for the bigger (laughs) cut there. But and and do you think the thing is with Nathan Jones? Sorry, Nathan Jones. Uh, is that his get up? I noticed this last week. Is that he was wearing this sort of like skin tight, almost like heavy metal style lycra tracksuit bottoms on the side and i thought if i was one of the spandex surely if it's heavy metal <laughs> yeah yeah it's spandex that's right yeah sorry about it. yeah and so and i just thought if i was one of his players i wouldn't want to want, look at that
2: andy speaking of nathan jones andy says D- did any of the panel know that he's now at cranbourne in the dorset league uh, yes banner saint banner <laughs> man on twitter i thought this was a wind-up when i saw it did some digging it's genuinely true former southampton manager. Nathan Jones, playing in the Dorset League for Cranbourne, came off due to injury after a few minutes. Uh, With the greatest respect, he says, it just about sums the entire situation up. Uh, Cranbourne FC's tweet, it's a goal early on. Debutant Nathan Jones puts a great cross in from the left and Driscoll scores. I mean, fair play to the guy for going to the Dorset League and having a kickabout. I'm oh, full of admiration for that. Uh, let's go to uh, St. James's Park. Uh, Liam says, hi, Max, Barry and the gang. Last week, I was surprised to learn that Loris Karius was at Newcastle. I thought it'd be a great question to send in a Barry and Sergio Ramos at PSG, thinking not many people will know this and oh, well now Thanks to Nick Pope's handball. Carrius has now been thrown into the biggest game in Newcastle's recent history. Matthew says, are you all ready for the Loris Carrius redemption story? Tim, was Barry as surprised as I was to learn Steve Harper is no longer Newcastle's reserve goalkeeper? And Ed says, if we agree that Spurs do not actually have need of Beavers' number, will Barry perhaps consider lending it to Newcastle United? I mean, that is the big talking point after the game. We'll get to Liverpool in a sec, Barry. But you've got to feel for Nick Pope. I mean, I don't know what he's doing, but it, the outcome is a disaster for him
4: oh absolutely and he's been newcastle's arguably their best player this season one of the best players in the premier league this season uh had a rush of blood to the head a bit of panic and now he misses he misses the uh league cup final and i was briefly worried that kieran <laughs> trippier might also miss it because uh he got clattered while um in the aftermath of uh, Nick Pope running out of his area. I did know Loris Karius was at Newcastle. It isn't guaranteed he will play, uh, because they have another guy, Mark Gillespie, there, who also hasn't played first team football for two years, I think more than two years. There are a lot of people out there who think Loris Karius is a clown for what happened in the Champions League final against Liverpool. But it's worth remembering he helped get them to that final and he kept several, six, I think, clean sheets en route to that final. And it was apparently proven afterwards that he had a concussion because Sergio Ramos ramosed him uh, in that final. So I'm prepared to give him the doubt. He's obviously a decent goalkeeper, but he's become something of a punchline. And if he did play... I would feel really bad if he had a shocker, even though I will, as a Sunderland fan and as a a fan or as someone who doesn't approve of Newcastle's owners, I quite want them to lose that final. But there's every chance he could come in and have the absolute game of his life and complete the redemption arc. It, it wouldn't be hugely surprising. Um, but yeah, Nick Pope must be sick. And uh, I do feel sorry for him.
2: I mean, it's a daft law, Jordan, isn't it? Uh, is it? No. Well, is it not? Like, it feels like it, 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 it's a different competition. Like, it feels like if you get sent off in the Premier League, you should be suspended in the Premier League. If you get sent off in the Carabao, you should be suspended from the Carabao. See, I, see, I don't know if Nick Pope would have known that 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 law. <laughs> and actually, Eddie Howe didn't. Well, Eddie Howe didn't know the Howe ball
3: law, did he, John? He said, <laughs> I too. thought it was
2: a bit harsh, sending Nick Pope off for that.
3: Eddie Howe, my God, man. Come on. I mean... Uh, <sighs> Listen, we know that managers come out and talk a load of old baloney. Uh, but for him to say, I don't know the rule and I thought it was harsh and it wasn't a sending off, come now, don't be so bloody daft. Uh, it, and as Barry actually says, you know, he always, there does seem to be this, <laughs> this thing in football, of which Eddie Howe is a proponent of, Oh well, I don't know enough about that to, to comment on it. Well, one of the things that you would have thought he would have the uh, ability to comment are the actual laws of the game. So, uh, again, um, not an impressive media performance there, actually, from Eddie Howe. Uh, A Liverpool back, John? Well, I, I do think they could be on the way back. And uh, Chief, the reason for that is that midfielder they've they've got now, Stefan Maciechic. Uh Wow. Wow. Uh, I think he's 18, isn't he? Uh, The confidence he played. Socks rolled down like some sort of continental 80s playmaker. Uh, You could see him stepping out for, you know, a Nantes or, uh, you know, Fiorentina or something like that. In the Cup Winners' Cup. In the Cup Winners' Cup, you know, with a, a late night, Wednesday night, sports night and just think he looks the business. And the thing is, he's a really, really classy player. And uh, he has that thing, doesn't he, of time on the ball. He's also, uh, they got him from Real Sociedad, he's a converted defender, so he's got a bit of power in the tackle, times his tackles very well. And funny enough, he seems to be the player that they thought they'd sign when they signed Thiago, in the fact that he has that passing ability, he also has that defensive capability, maybe he's a bit more of a... Maybe he's the player that Fabinho was until he suddenly drops off a cliff. But he's really good. I suppose the one thing is you can't really rely on an 18-year-old. But what a find he's been for Liverpool. Absolutely seems to have saved the season. Um, We await news on Darwin Nunes' shoulder injury because suddenly he looks confident. Uh, Gakpo suddenly looks like he's he's part of the team. Um, All is not lost with Liverpool. Um, And I think you mentioned in the intro... uh, That Spurs are in the top four. Well, if you were Liverpool, you would look at a team like Spurs and think you could get close to them.
2: Before we move on, Christian Atsu's wife and and children were at St James's Park. It was a wonderful um, reception for them. Christian Atsu was um, found dead under the earthquake rubble of his home in Turkey. Uh, Obviously, had uh, a good stint at Newcastle as well as playing for uh, other clubs in the UK. There was minutes of applause. Um, he spent five years at Newcastle from 2016 to 2021 um, periods of applause at other Premier League games on Saturday in his memory as well Louise Taylor in the Guardian written a nice uh, piece about him as well which I would urge you to seek out and of course our thoughts are with his family and his friends and uh, obviously with everyone else uh, including some listeners who've got in touch about that disaster and who've been caught up in it um, and that'll do for part two and part three will begin at Old Trafford <laughs> Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Manchester United 3, Leicester nil. Joey says, how good was the Vout derby? I mean, there are two stories here, Jordan, aren't there? One is David De Gea and Leicester profligacy for the sort of 25 minutes, half an hour. And then it's Marcus Rashford just being brilliant again.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Leicester 1st, I think they'll feel like they won't understand how they weren't two, maybe three goals up before Rashford even scored his first. I think David De Gea made two world-class saves in that first half to keep them out. But I, I think they should have actually put at least one of those away. Um, I, 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 Le- Leicester are a, a funny team, but they, they they, played really, really well until Rashford turned up and, and did what he does. And he's in that form right now where I just think he feels like he can't be stopped. Um, And I think that kind of emanates to, to the opposition where they feel, uh-oh, Rashford's coming at us with the ball and everything he seems to strike right now seems to go in. My concern for Manchester United would be if he gets injured, suspended, or has a dip in form, where the goal's going to come from? Because I don't see where else there's going to be any um, goals coming from. I think the next top scorer is Fernandez on seven. So that would be my slight concern, but, you know, you don't worry about that until until it happens. But yeah, Rashford's in the form that Um, I think even I'm surprised by, and I've I've been a Rashford fan for a while, so if he can continue this form, there's a couple of trophies potentially on the horizon for United, as well as a top three, maybe better finish in in the Premier League.
2: James Madison, I thought was interesting after the game, Barry, which he he often is, he's a a good media person, isn't he? Um, Just sort of saying how just that Rashford goal just sort of killed them, you know, De Gea makes that brilliant save, and just as a team, they just couldn't they just couldn't sort of recover from that moment, which is kind of understandable, I think.
4: Yeah, it is. It knocked the stuffing out of them. You could see that. And uh, I, I agree with you. I like listening to James Madison talk about the game or or anything else. He's he's, he's always quite honest and clearly puts a lot of thought into what he's saying. Um, but yet yeah, Leicester had no answers once the Grashford goal went in, because they've been good, you know, and Manchester United were very poor in the first half, or the first half hour anyway, and Leicester should have been ahead, so it's totally understandable that the goal bit of a sucker punch against the run of play, knocked the stuffing out of them and they they just that was it, it was plain sailing then for Manchester United.
2: Mm. Uh, Santos, how has John Bruyne's Get It Launch campaign been affected by moving Veghorst into United's midfield, and he also played midfield in that brilliant game in the new Camp which is fascinating, wasn't
3: it? Well, he's got a a good touch for a big man. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I haven't really got. I, there's, there's plenty I've got to say about Manchester United, but
2: no, of course. Well, let's do that. Well, let's yeah, let, let's do that. That is important. Matt says hi, Max and team. As a Man United fan, I find the impending. Inevitable Cattery ownership, so depressing the Glazers have been bad owners, using the club for their own greed, turning a football club into some sort of soulless marketing content provider. But I never thought it would get worse. Now when I think that's finally over, I'm sitting here facing the next option of supporting a state-owned sports-washing propaganda machine. Is that really what football is now? I've slowly lost interest in football due to the corruption and acceptance of sports-washing over the years, but I've held on to the fact that at least my club isn't doing that. I can't support Man United. If that happens, I'll have to stop watching football. Uh, It's been such a big part of my life. I plan it, my life around it. And most of my friendships are based around football as a common platform to build on. It makes me so sad that the thing that holds so many of us together has become so awful. And even worse, most people don't seem to care and just like the money. Is there anything that can be done to stop the Premier League becoming the primary base of nation states to promote themselves and network with the Western world? How have we got to this point and is there a way out? Is it just a reflection on our society that it's suddenly celebrated by people as soon as it's their club? Oh, and Max, I hope you find your Subaru soon. I mean, thank you for that, Matt. In the grand scheme of things, it's less important than this. John, I know you're a United fan. Interestingly, Barry and I had Justin Morehouse on the radio yesterday saying, look, if, if it happens, he'll have to stop going and it, it would break his heart.
3: Yeah, I actually I actually heard that and uh, I, and Justin goes to, you know, he's a season ticket get older, I know, and would be giving up a lot more than I have these days. But, I cast my mind back to the Glazer takeover of 2005. Um, A lot of people I knew at the time stopped going to Manchester United as a result. They didn't want to put money into the Glazers' pockets. Now, the thing is, not enough of them did that, and it meant that the Glazers were able to last this long. And 18 years later, we have the same decision that uh, awaits uh, Manchester United fans. Now, I've heard the argument made, oh, well, we've always hated the owners. And there was this point during the Glazer ownership of, all oh, this fight from within, you know, I, I won't buy a pie when I'm in the stadium or whatever. It didn't work. Ultimately, look at social media and the fans that uh, maybe don't go to Old Trafford uh, or even some of those that do, and the majority appears to be, hey, let's have, let's take the money. Um, and that has been the stance of one activist group that I saw, the 1958 that said, oh, we we can't really... Uh, judge on who, who owns the club and then you've had the independent supporters club that has said you know, that they've got concerns over human rights LGBTQ rights but I did think it was a bit of a soft soap statement um, Listen, if you're a Manchester United fan a lot of the time you've spent your time looking at Manchester City uh, mocking them for having an ownership uh, which has a uh, um, dubious related to a dubious human rights record uh, you've had this idea, you've laughed at the idea of City fans saying Sheikh is a private individual and it's not money from Abu Dhabi, which appears to be the thing with this new guy coming in at Manchester United. Oh, it's actually his money. Um, one thing is, that this white paper that we, we await, I think it's this week, there appears to be this thing that one of the, the, the things of this is that you have to declare where your income comes from uh, to take over a club. Uh, and. Uh, In the case of Roman Abramovich, that probably would have prevented him owning the club. Now, um, in the case of Sheikh Jassim, there is this idea that it's all his money, uh, but it just happens to have been the the chairman of a bank and uh, be related to all these people uh, who happen to uh, hold the keys to power in Qatar, but it won't be state ownership. Uh, So we're back to that question we've got about Manchester City. It's dim, it's dingy, it's dirty... And I agree with Justin that really, uh, as a Manchester United fan, uh, you, the, the, my instinct would be to walk away from the club because I don't really want to be a part of that. Yeah, you know, obviously, in, in, as part of my job, I will, I will still watch the games, and I will still feel a pang for Manchester United. But you don't want to put your money uh, where that's going. And the, th- the thing about sports washing, we've had this idea of sports washing. Uh, we've just had the Qatar World Cup. And my feeling at the end of that was that Qatar didn't really care what we thought about how how their values were. They were very defensive of those. Uh, It didn't change anything. And any sense of idea that you've had, we've had this with Newcastle, oh, we'll change their ideas on LGBTQ rights. Uh, It hasn't changed anything really, has it? It's just about the money, and that's grim, grim, grim.
0: I was going to say that I covered this story of the weekend for work as well. And one of the questions that I put to the people that I, I interviewed as part of my piece was, do we just have to accept that if you want to be competitive and win the biggest trophies, you have to have, we're long past having millionaires, even a billionaire, you need to have something akin to a state or state-related ownership of your club. And the the the, the answers were mixed. Some said yes, some said no. But I just wonder if you want to be a club now that wins the Champions League or multiple Premier Leagues, you're competing with states. And someone mentioned Liverpool as an example of an ex- whereby you don't have to have a state ownership to be competitive. But when you really think about it, yet yeah, they've been competitive. But in the last five years, they've only won one title and one Champions League. Albeit there's a couple other finals in there as well. So I'm fascinated to see if if, if this is where we're going now, whereby to win a Premier League or multiple Premier Leagues, you have to be state owned. And then speaking of Liverpool, they need new owners as well, and there's there's heavily there's heavy talks about Saudis um, wanting to buy them. They are a fan base that wear their principles on their sleeve probably more than any other club I can think of. So, again, I'm really interested to see if that happens. You know, John is saying he would walk away from United, and I, and I understand why. With the Liverpool fan base, would they accept, do you know what I mean, that sort of ownership run running their club? I'm, I'm keen to see that play out more, more so than, than this current Manchester United story.
4: Yeah, you can see on social media, you know, fans doing... The usual mental gymnastics uh in much the same way as newcastle fans did when uh, with their takeover but manchester united was formed like most football clubs as a social institution or amenity for local workers it's it's a cultural institution i don't know i, I don't think they should be allowed to be state-owned and if i was a fan I can't see why you would want to be owned by a state, particularly a state with such dubious human rights records as um, Qatar. I mean, I just I just don't get it why you would want that for your club. But I appear to be in a bit of a minority because the overwhelming evidence suggests that most fans just don't care
0: a fan I spoke to said that United don't actually need to be state-owned they generate so much money themselves they don't even need to be state-owned to be competitive so I thought that that was quite significant and important as well
2: um, yeah so Sheikh Jasim's Qatari consortium said the bid plans to return the club to its former glories it'll be completely debt-free Via Sheikh Jassim's 9-2 Foundation, uh, which is apparently named after the class of 92, which will look to invest into the football teams, the training centre, the stadium, wider infrastructure, fan experience, communities the club supports. The vision of the bid is for Manchester United to be renowned for footballing excellence and regarded as the greatest football club in the world. Uh, There was a really interesting piece by Rob Draper and Nick Harris uh, at Sporting Intel uh, in the mail explaining how we really know nothing about this guy, Sheikh Jassim. The PR company speaking on his behalf didn't actually know how old he was um, I mean, not that necessarily is a really important factor. We sort of think they might know that. Obviously, there's this bid from INEOS signed by Sir Jim Ratcliffe as well. So, I think a question that I think is quite interesting, or that I'd like to explore somewhere sometime. I don't know. Is, is like there's that thing where people just say you can't walk away from your club, you can't stop supporting your club, right?
4: Of course you can. You, you and, can. And can. That's you re- can. And you that's can. really
2: interesting because I, I I think so. I think you can, and I think it's but but the reaction you get is then you're not a inverted commas proper football fan. You don't get it, and obviously for me for me to walk away from Cambridge United would be different. I live ten thousand miles away. I don't go every week. It is different for say Justin, who's a season ticket holder. But you obviously can, right? Like like moral issues.
4: If anything, it more it makes you more of a fan because I feel this strongly about my club. I agree. Agreed. This is how strongly I feel about this club I love.
3: Yeah, I'm always uh, I'm always annoyed by the way that football supporters as a group are treated like this bovine herd and it's like, oh, the fans will be okay as long as they buy all the players. Well, not everyone. You're a human being first. You're a football supporter, you know, 25th really. So maybe there comes a point where you have to think, what's more important to me? Morals, human rights, uh, you know, environmental factors. Or is it my football team winning 2-0 on Saturday? Well, if you choose your football team, well, I know what I think of you.
2: Let's rattle through the other Premier League games. Uh, A lot to get through. Not a lot of time. David says, Seamus Coleman's goal was amazing. Surely he must now also wonder whether he could have been the Irish Ronaldinho. What have the panel learned about themselves far too late in their careers to do anything about?
4: It was a brilliant goal, Barry. It was a fantastic goal and the highlight of a pretty bad game. Uh, he took it fit brilliantly. I wasn't sure he meant it first, but he says he did, and I believe him because Seamus wouldn't tell a lie. He gave it the eyes. Yeah. He looked. Yeah, he did. Um, otherwise, a, a, what? A, a pretty bad game between two bad teams, and I would still fear for Everton because they have nothing up front, and Seamus Coleman ain't going to do that every week
2: it be unlikely. I see. I think he meant it as well. I think he meant it one because he would know. He more than anyone would know that Everton would have no players in the <laughs> box anyway. And he did. He did look. John, you're with you're with me as well. I, unbelievable. It's obviously it's Jordan out there on his own. You think he? You think he didn't mean that at all?
0: No way. No way. Did he mean it? It's 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 a it's a speculative whip into the box, and it, the keeper who's got form for being in weird positions and letting in weird goals. Has been in a weird position and a weird goal. It's it's not intended at all. I'm not I'm not having that at all. He's good, but he's not that good.
2: I mean, I would say he's not that good, but he <laughs> did mean it. Now, um, uh, Spurs two West Ham nil. Um, dull first half. Spurs better in the second half. We've seen that before. Charlie says on behalf of all Tottenham fans, how on God's earth are we fourth? I mean that that goal actually, Barry. Was sort of that's a Conte goal, isn't it? Wing back to wing back. Ben Davis, and actually the touches of Davis and Emerson, you could be forgiven. Like, if Son and Kane had done that, you'd be like, that's why they're so brilliant.
4: Yeah, that was a fantastic goal. And, well, they scored two good goals. West Ham are awful. They were really bad. (laughs) Really bad. They set up for a nil-nil, you know, five across the back, three defensive midfielders, and they they lost two nil. For some reason, I... I think on this part anyway. I don't know about elsewhere, but they haven't really been in the relegation conversation, and they very much should be on the evidence of that performance. <laughs>
2: You're right. Yeah, I think we've been guilty of ignoring them. Yeah, they are literally in the relegation zone, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, I guess you just think because they've done so
4: well. I, I think. I think we. Yeah, I think we just thought, ah, well, they were seventh last year, and they're doing okay in the Europe Conference League and. Uh, they'll be fine, but that I was shocked by how bad they were yesterday. John, do you, I mean? Do you think Spurs
2: Spurs could get fourth? I mean, they could.
3: Oh, yeah. I, I, listen, Spurs. You know, every season there's or every couple of years there's a team that you see. Oh, it's the it's the four thirty game. Who is it? Oh God, it's Spurs, and <laughs> I feel that, and I support them. <laughs> I'd, I'd, listen, I felt that it was Man United <laughs> for many years because, you know, it, in the Van Hal, Mourinho, Ollie years, it was like that. But there's certain teams, Liverpool have been like that in the and perhaps certain Chelsea teams where you just think, Middlesbrough fulfilled this function, appeared for about three decades at one point. It, it felt, yeah, But, you know, there's a team where you just think, oh, no. <laughs> and that's Spurs. <laughs> just, no. And, um,. I I wish Antonio Conte the best in his recovery from what a very nasty illness. Um, But still Spurs.
4: I I don't think they'll finish fourth. They're not good enough. I mean, Liverpool Liverpool have two games in hand on, I think, three of the teams that are currently in the top four. So I, I would say Liverpool will finish above Spurs. Not necessarily in the top four, but they will finish above Spurs.
2: Two sides in between uh, uh, Spurs and Liverpool are Brighton and Fulham. Fulham 1-1-0 one, one, at the Amex. Mark says, can someone please how Fulham have put themselves into top four contention when half the population couldn't name a single player there, Bar Mitrovic? <laughs> I mean, they didn't, They didn't. John, do anything in this game. Did they? I mean, this is an outrage. This is actually sort of a scandal. They should give the points <laughs> back, shouldn't they? But fair play.
3: Yeah, and, uh, the thing is that De is one of those managers that may detonate at any point. So you, 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 you steal a win off them at your absolute peril. Um, good goal, good goal. Another referee in controversy. Uh, Tim Ream, masterful in defence. What a great season he's having. Uh, still not listening to his pod. Uh, um, Marco Silva, uh, there's a promising young manager. What
2: What, what could become of him? Yeah, I'm Brighton worse, so much better. Deservey got sent off in the tunnel. He said afterwards he was just annoyed that Howard Webb had visited him. <laughs> And wasted his time the week. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't do any tactical planning. Do you imagine this meeting of Howard Webb saying, now we're going to do this? Slides going, oh, and Lee Mason's gone. So that's, and then what we're going to do here with this offside, and we'll bring in semi automated offside, and Deserby is just inwardly just seething, going, I've got work with Solly March to do on the training ground. Stop it now um but look well done to Fulham. both those sides going very well aren't they uh, brentford one crystal palace one Sheps says any up- update on barry's bankers after tipping brentford and wolves to win this weekend they
4: didn't. <laughs>
2: brentford needed a last minute uh injury time uh, equalizer to get something off palace and bournemouth won at wolves barry
4: yeah well uh i owe vitally janice or uh, Janel a huge debt of gratitude because i'm in a game of last man standing Last weekend was the first weekend. It was a bloodbath. Over half the eighty strong field were eliminated. But I get the chance to buy back in because Brentford drew. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Jan Elt for that. Thomas Frank was absolutely thrilled with that. He you know, thought he equated it to a win. A, su- a surprise win for Bournemouth and Wolves. I-, I didn't see that coming. But, you know, we all yeah. know I can be I'm not exactly a soothsayer, am I?
3: <laughs> well, I like with the, I this one. Gary O'Neill, uh, he has that um, that sort of deportment is like serious Premier League manager face, doesn't he? Like he's, he's such a, a serious guy, and I think the question was, you know. That win comes as a surprise. No, you know, like, just as in, you know, and then and then does the classic, you know, reels off how good the performance has been in recent weeks. Actually, type of everything. But Gary O'Neill is not one of the. Um, okay, he gives a bit more than Graham Potter, but he's not one of the more uh, rock star of our Premier League managers, is he?
2: I'd like that all you want is rock stars. What would your dream be? What, Gene Simmons at, <laughs> Gene Simmons at Stoke? What do you want?
3: Uh, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie at the villa. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, Aussie at the villa.
2: Anyway, a couple of uh, any other business. Um, uh, Bolton have uh, officially announced a new five-year stadium naming rights deal with Bolton-based building product manufacturer Tough Sheet, uh, which obviously sounds <laughs> remarkably like Tough touch shit doesn't it As a, who, who sent the brilliant tweet I retweeted it I should give them credit <laughs> he just said like if you don't like it well <laughs> very funny <laughs> it's just really good isn't it um, utterly delighted with that um, uh, finally Graham says I see that Jordan is on the lineup at this drum and bass night I'd like to know if you can spit some bars about the weekend's Premier League matches yeah uh, code and culture presents G-Shock Sessions, 30 years of V-recordings, Q&A, and live performances and DJs, including Jumpin' Jack Frost, Brian G, Genesis Elijah, live. I presume the other ones are live as well, are they not pre-recorded? Paul T and Edward Oberon, Command Strange, MC Moose, and Ilma Tika. With Jordan Jarrett Bryan, you are the smaller... You know when bands, it gets smaller and smaller. You know, the, the, the lesson... <laughs> you, you know, you're not the killers on the pyramid stage here. It is, you know, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, Q&A. I mean, I, 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 I rate you as a broadcaster, Jordan. But at what point in a drum and bass night do people want a Q&A? Like, what... what when, <laughs> I, and I haven't been to many drama basements in my life. It's a bit noisy for me, but I would actually quite appreciate that bit when you just go, I'll have a bit of quiet, everyone sit down, and now I've got a panel. We're going to, any questions?
4: <laughs> you, sir, the <laughs> back roll with the blue
0: tie. <laughs> Um it's not it's not an actual rave rave, it's uh it's uh it's an event. I'm hosting a, a session um that's 30 years of a record label my father owns. It's a drum-based label called V Recordings. Um my father is Brian ah, G. It's
2: not it's not what you know, is it? <laughs> that
0: that's I how I've got this know. far. It's all nepotism, mate. It's all nepotism. And I'm hosting the I'm hosting the event. He's like he's like the shake's shake Sheikh of guitar yeah, <laughs> isn't he? That's <laughs> that's <laughs> <that>. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so it's not it's not a rave rave, but there will be some music being played after the main event, which is me doing the QA.
2: The QA? Are you doing the QA with your dad?
0: I am indeed, yes, and Jumping Jack Frost. who also, also oh, great. is there as well. And if you're the artist. I once did talk sport with Ju- Jumping Jack Frost, you know. Yes. He's a, he's a good guy.
2: How significant is um how how significant is your dad in the drum and bass? industry
0: he's huge he's big he's one he's one of the pioneers he's massive Is he? yeah he's big is he he's pretty big yeah wow oh,
2: that's very exciting i'd probably get more probably get more viewers than a q a of me asking my dad about being the medical director of Adam Brooks hospital in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> but look we'll give it a go eh? um uh, well you know just for you i hope it goes well Thank i you. can't make it but you know uh send me a recording send me a cassette uh, mic- a mixtape a mixtape <laughs> a mixtape for me is when you like you know you've got you got a song you know you put Deeply dippy on at the end because you had two minutes so you got two minutes to fill i don't know if that's your kind of mixtape anyway um you know <laughs> right said fred probably playing in the matt Letizier lounge <laughs> <don't know>. uh, <laughs> So, anyway, that'll do for today's podcast. A um, lot to get through. We probably didn't cover your club enough, and for that, we apologise. It's all part of the agenda. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday after the Champions League games on Tuesday, including uh, Liverpool Real Madrid. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens.